0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. We are in a sermon series, a message series called Awaken, and it's essentially a sermon series that leads us up to this awakening weekend, April 12th through the 14th. And we've gone over several things. Let me just kind of repeat the titles and, and a little bit about it before we get started this morning. Uh, the first one we did, all it was titled All About Him. And essentially that revival and spiritual spiritual awakening is about God. It's not really about us. Although we want to be involved in that process, we want to be part of it. It's really about bringing glory to God. And it's about Him doing His work within the people that he calls his people. And so it's all about him. The second, the second one in, second in the series was uh, we starts with I. We starts with I. And we said that, that collectively we want God to do a work within our congregation, but essentially it's got to start with individuals within the congregation. Like, God's not going to do it for the whole if it's not individual. So there's an individual piece to this that we have to respond to God's call in our life and repentance in accordance with God's Word. So that was the second week. The third week is acknowledging the pain. Just understanding that sometimes God uses pain to draw us to Himself. They may be circumstances that we're uncomfortable with. They may be circumstances that we're uncomfortable talking about. But sometimes God uses pain to draw us to himself, to get our attention, and then to bring us back to him. And really some of the examples would be um, in Judges, those stories in Judges where the people drifted away from God and God brought a judge and called them back to himself and they repented and started following God. and, And you know that cycle continues. We say that sometimes it even continues with us. So how is God even using pain and discomfort in our lives to draw us to himself? And then the the fourth week was kingdom treasure. And that, that was last week. And we talked about prayer. He said that when we open a treasure chest, we expect that something valuable would be inside. And when we open that, and we understand that the the most valuable thing that we have is prayer in our relationship with God. It's that communication piece between us and the Father, not us and a faraway God, but us and a God that wants to be near to us. It's Almighty God, Abba Father, the Daddy Father. And so God invites us to to be in His presence by the blood of Jesus Christ to come there and say, God, would you please? And so this week, we're going to kind of continue in that vein talking about everyone's cry. Everyone's cry. And so if we, if we take this and look at it from the standpoint of us individually going to God and saying, God, this is what I'd like to see happen in my life. This is what I'm dealing with. These are the burdens I have. And then collectively doing that, what happens when God tunes his ear to that? What happens when God is attentive to our pleas and our cry? What he's saying about it, what was interesting is, and Sam, you didn't know this. I was open to, because you did Psalm 32, right? I was, huh? 13. 13. Psalm 32 says the same stuff. Do you know that? Just so you know. Because I'm sitting there, and I went back, and I talked to Jimmy in the back, and I said, that sounds like the same psalm I was going to read before we prayed. And then Sam got up and read it, and I and I didn't hear it because I was still messing with the microphone. And I didn't hear which psalm you said, but I knew there was a three in it. So, but it's the same idea that when we feel like we're in trouble, we go to God and we cry. And God is attentive to us. God is attentive. Um, I, want to, I want to show you a picture, but I want to tell you the story before we see it. Uh, so... Um, the Angers Bridge was built in 1839. I don't know if you know this story. It was successfully completed then. Um, it took 11 years to, to build it, and it crossed the main river. That, there's a picture of it. And um, so everything was going fine. It was a major, a major bridge in the area, used frequently, had no issues. But there was, uh, it was used for the traffic of soldiers, primarily during that particular period of time and they would cross and there happened to be no issues there were no issues earlier in the day but there arose a thunderstorm a severe thunderstorm that created some issue on the bridge and what was happening is the winds from the thunderstorm began to help the bridge to sway a little So there was a little bit of give, so the bridge began to sway. Well, the the soldiers kept crossing the bridge, and them marching in cadence seemed to match the winds that were coming across sideways on the bridge. And that combination caused the cables to break. And 226 men plummeted to their death in the river that day. It's one of the worst bridge disasters in history. And we could go around and talk about bridge disasters, but understand that those guys were just doing what they were told to do. And them walking in unison caused something. Along with the power of God, it caused something. And we would say, man, that's, that's tragic. Yes, it is tragic. But you have to understand that when there is unity, when there is physical unity within a body, Some things can happen that are amazing. And in this particular case, it was amazing for the the bad, but we understand that when there's physical unity, then something can happen that's tremendous. And so we make the statement often that men together can accomplish a lot. With fortitude, with strength, they can work through a project and, and accomplish just about anything they want to. So this morning, we're going to talk about unity. Not so much unity and cadence crossing bridges, but unity within the body of Christ. See, no longer do men walk in cadence across bridges. It just doesn't happen because of this disaster. But if we walk in unison with God, spiritually speaking, then God can do a mighty work in our midst. I guess the first thing that we've got to understand is that there's a supernatural or superhuman power in physical unity. Men can accomplish a lot if we put our heads together, right? If if the examples of this would be the tower in Babylon in Genesis chapter 11. This is what it says, 11.4, it says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. That sounds fairly good, doesn't it? But doesn't it sound like something that we might do? We want want something to be preserved for us, and so we're going to build this so people can look at it and stand in awe of it. And and we kind of get into those into those scenarios and when we are of one mind we can accomplish a lot and and really this is a pretty good successful start but Genesis eleven six 6b says nothing and this is God talking about this this group of people that had built this city and this tower as it was partway done says that God came down looked at it and guys if you were at the East Coast Men's Bible Conference you remember this You remember this story and talking about this that God came down and he looked at and he says nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Well that sounds pretty incredible. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Does that mean that whatever men put their minds together to do will be equal to what God can do? Does it mean that? Of course not. Doesn't mean that at all. They had not become God, and even together they had not become God. They were still limited by their humanity. Yet, they wanted to elevate their own fame and their own name for the sake of their reputation. And what God understands is that when we elevate our own name and ourselves for our own reputation, or our own fame, that it takes away from that which belongs to God. And we essentially make ourselves an idol and worship ourselves. And so we may say it's really good that men can accomplish anything they want to. But when it becomes more about the person who's doing it than it does the God who created the universe, then it's misguided, misdirected, and sin. And so God confused them and caused that work not to be done because God is worthy of praise, not man. The second example is just the Israelites in Jerusalem. Nehemiah comes back, leads the people to start to build the wall. And this is what it says in Nehemiah 4.6. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. Doesn't sound bad at all, does it? If we were to build a wall here, we would gather a bunch of guys again. In fact, April 6th at 8 o'clock in the morning, Shameless plug for workday. Well, we're going to have a workday, and we're going to put out mulch. The mulch will not get put out by itself. Things won't get cleaned up. They won't get painted by themselves. Where's David? He's, he's back in the back. So, so let's, if we ask David Link, who takes care of the facility, and, and Bernie, if we ask Bernie, do things paint themselves? Last time I checked, I've cut through here. And if you don't realize it, the baptistry has been painted by these guys. They worked up there and cleaned it out and, and painted the walls around the baptistry. But, uh, but I want to tell you, I never walked through here and found that it was just uh, being done without them. It took some physical, physical effort. And so Nehemiah, in the same situation, they built half the wall and the task was overwhelming. There's some guesstimates on just what this, what this wall looked like. And so there's still some debate over the actual size. But let me throw out some ideas, some, some, um, some numbers for you just for a second. The, here's the dimensions, two and a half miles long. So if you were to go from here, to Master's Garden, which is our weekday preschool where Marianne Link directs, and they do a tremendous work with a bunch of kids every single day of the week. They do an awesome job proclaiming Jesus among those children and their parents. And so if you were to take a wall and build it from here to there, and then bring the wall back, and then go halfway again up to Master's Garden, two and a half miles So you build a two and a half mile wall, which is a lot smaller than another wall that's being discussed. So just two and a half miles, but it was 40 feet tall. Not too bad, 40 feet tall. It was minimum of eight feet wide. So if you can imagine that. Okay, so an eight foot wide, 40 foot tall wall two and a half miles long. It took them 52 days. There is, I don't know, anybody can build a wall like that in 52 days. But they were able to do it because they had a mind to do it. And see, we as the church could have a mind to do something with physical unity. We could get together and say, hey, we want to accomplish this. And we would say, it's really good. We could work on the HYA Um, baseball and softball fields on a regular basis and it would be good it would be good work it'd be excellent work within our community and we would want it to proclaim the name of Jesus but if we just got together and did it in unified fashion if everybody showed up then a lot of things would get done on those fields we could say the same thing if we were to say we want to be part of Habitat for Humanity and jump in on that and build a house In short order, we could get a lot done. And you can fill in the blank. You can do a lot with, with all those things. When you have physical unity, you can accomplish superhuman things. Yet void of the power and presence of God, it is superhuman by definition and proves that we have abilities, but it is not supernatural. And what we really want to see is we want to see a supernatural work of God. Supernatural, by definition, is the work that is done by God when God's people are in spiritual unity. God can do that. Revival and spiritual awakening is a supernatural work. We can schedule the weekend, but we can't force revival or spiritual awakening. We can even call it revival. but That doesn't mean anything is revived. And see, God is prompted by the cries of believers in spiritual unity. So our cadence should match the heartbeat of God. We are to walk in step with the Spirit. The second thing is there is a supernatural power in spiritual unity. A supernatural power in spiritual unity. The rebuilding of the wall was a physical activity, but it included a spiritual element. Nehemiah chapter 8 If you go through Nehemiah chapter 8, you read in there that there was a unity that was among the people. The word all, and you can just find the word all in an English translation, and you realize that there are at least 10 times within that passage where it says all, but if you take it even further and look at the references that would mean all, it is even a greater number than that. And this is what it says in Nehemiah 8, 1 and 2. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. Then on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, all who could listen with understanding so essentially it was those that could hear the words but as it was interpreted they would be able to understand what it meant and so they gathered them all together in that place there was a physical presence of the people but a spiritual force present in the unity of God's people together they listened to the word of of Moses, the law of Moses, and they received an explanation of the law. But it was God who did the work. It wasn't the physical work of the wall, it was God doing the work in the hearts of the people. And two things happened on that day in the assembly. First thing is in verse 6, Nehemiah 8 6. So we look at Nehemiah 8.6. Let me get flip over to it. Nehemiah 8.6, it says, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so here what we read is they gathered together and there was this common worship together before God and a bowing down before Him, recognizing God as God. So they may have completed the wall physically, but it was God who was doing a work in the hearts of the people. So there was applause for God in this. Secondly, there was an appraisal of self in in verse 9. It says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Look what it says the people were doing. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping when they heard the words of the law? Because they realized when they heard God's word that something was happening. Not just something happening, but they realized what they had missed. And they realized that they had disobeyed God and needed to repent and turn back to God. So who's responsible for the people, the response of the people? Who's responsible? Was it Nehemiah? And Nehemiah was obviously part of the equation, right? Was it Ezra? Ezra was reading the book of the law, and then there's a list of guys that were standing alongside Ezra, and there was this explanation being given. Was it the guys who were giving the explanation? Is that who caused the response of the people? I would just tell you it's none of the above. It wasn't Ezra. It wasn't Nehemiah. It wasn't even those guys. It was God. God was doing the work. God, by His Spirit, is responsible for the response of the people. Now, I want to take a little side journey for just a minute. There's a fallacy within the modern church that believers... The believers treat the church in a consumer mentality, and it's okay. I want you to hear that. We are not consumers. We are not to be consumers. Consumers believe that it is about them. They believe that someone besides God is responsible for their spiritual nourishment or lack of. And so what what will happen is somebody will come in and say, I'm just not being fed. So they walk in, say that like somebody else is responsible for their spiritual nourishment. God is responsible for that. But we have to be in a place where we come to the table and say, God, would you feed me? Because I can stand up here all day long and you can pull the greatest preacher from, you can pull Billy Graham in here or Charles Spurgeon or somebody Whitfield. Pull them all in. And it's not going to matter. If God does not work, people's ears are dulled and they will turn and walk away and say, I'm not being fed. If God's Spirit is not at work, it accomplishes nothing. At the end of the day, the person is is not the center of attention. God is the center of attention and I must listen to God. And so your job is not to sit here and listen to me. Your job in here is to sit and listen to God. That makes all the difference in the world. Listen to how Paul explained it to the Corinthian church. He said now, and this is chapter 1, verse 10 and following. He says, Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you. So we're talking about unity. He says, And that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, my brothers, by members of Chloe's household, that there is rivalry among you. He says, what I'm saying is this. Each of you says, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. And the question that Paul asks at the end of that, he says, is Christ divided? Is my loyalty to a person, or is my loyalty to God? And if we're going to be in unity spiritually so that God can do a supernatural work among us, then we have to be united under the banner of Christ, not united under the banner of somebody else's name. Look at the result of the Holy Spirit's work in Nehemiah's day. First of all, it was revival. Chapter 9, verse 1. It says, On the 24th day of the month the Israelites assembled, They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descended separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sin and the guilt of their fathers. And while they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. You want to do that? Don't look at your watch about noon we got a fourth of the day to go. You just divide 24 by four. What do you get? Six. We'll be here a while. <laughs> and while they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, spent another fourth of the day in confession. It's a long day. And worship of the Lord their God. So they spent six hours just listening and then going, God, Why? What are you doing in us? And what do you need to do in us? And then they spent another six hours just going, God, we confess before you how we failed to act according to your word and worshiped. Because the response on the back end of confession before God and being right with God is this, God, you are awesome. And I just want to stand in your presence and recognize you for who you are. The second thing that happened is there was a record, not just revival, but there was a record. In Nehemiah 10, 28 and 29 says, the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants, along with their wives, sons, and daughters, everyone who is able to understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding peoples to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses, and to carefully obey all the commands, ordinances, and statutes of Yahweh our Lord. If we took a piece of paper and wrote down your names, said we will commit to obeying God from this point forward, how many of you would sign it? Would that be intimidating? I mean, you may say, oh, I'll sign the paper if, if you put that paper in a file folder and nobody gets to see it. Yet this was a public oath on their part, it was a record of their commitment to God. It's a little intimidating, but it was a response to what God was doing in their midst. That he was calling to, to revive them and to do a mighty work through them as the people of God. The second illustration of a, of a supernatural work is the day of Pentecost. This is post-ascension. And you, you look over in Acts chapter 1 and you read that and, you, and Jesus has ascended and there's this voice from heaven that says, why do you stand there looking up? One, I'm a little shocked. Jesus, it just disappeared. And I don't really know what to do next. But the, the voice says, why do you stand there looking up? Like, isn't there something you're supposed to do? And the answer is yes, there is something you're supposed to do. So quit looking here because the same way he left, he's coming back, but you don't need to stand here waiting on him because this is going to take a little longer than that. Although you don't know the day nor the hour, and none of us do, and we could take guesses, but we ain't going to get there. We could take a guess on when he's coming back, but there's no reason to stand there looking up, waiting on it. There are things to do. There are people to proclaim the name of God to. So we can say he's coming back this afternoon at 4:30 prior to the Duke game, and some of us would be upset because the Duke game's not going to happen. But the truth is, what the result would be for those that are in Christ would be so much better. It would sure make all the UNC fans happier. And Liberty fans, I want to leave them out. They made it. They made it in, did well. And there's a whole lot of other ones. You could throw in that mix. But why do you stand there looking up? There's something to do. When I walked in the ETC meeting last Sunday morning, I walked in the room and I was a little taken aback by the, the quietness of the group. So I, you know, I don't want to disturb a meeting that's in progress, but I showed up and I opened the door and it just kind of cracked it and listened, and I could hardly hear anything. And so I just kind of looked. Just kind of peeked around, and yeah, there was three tables of people. Now, the ETC folks, in case you don't know what that means, it means that they work during this hour watching preschool, watching preschool children back there, and they lead them in worship. So if you're ever interested in working in ETC, let Pastor Isaiah know, because they're always looking for folks that would come alongside children and teach them about God. So it's a great place to plug in. It's only once a month, but you you kind of have to volunteer and get on a schedule and get the information and lead. It's a good thing. So I walk into this meeting, and as soon as I walk in the room, I look over, and there is a table, the furthest table, and they're doing this. And so I start walking over there, and I was like, I don't even know what you're looking at. But you're looking up. I'm going to look up. And don't you know that was kind of like that in here? They're just looking up. And if somebody were to walk by, they say, why are you looking up? Well, I'm just looking up because something's happening. I don't know what it is. See, they were looking up there for a particular reason. And the disciples were looking up for a particular reason. But there was something to do here. And so what needed to happen in that meeting, and it did, is the attention got refocused down to what they were talking about in the meeting. That there is a mighty, oh, mighty work of God to be done, um, done among preschoolers during the worship hour. And it makes a difference. There is a mighty work of God to be done among the people of Jerusalem, and these guys are going to be called to do that. And so what he says is, why do you stand there looking up? And so they go, and they go to a place where they can pray. So there's 120 of them gather in a room, an upstairs room in verse 12, chapter 1 of Acts. Chapter 14 says, All these were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That word, that, that idea of continually united in prayer has has this word behind it. It's the homothimodon, is the, the Greek word. It's it's one of passion. And so they got together in this passionate unity to do something. And essentially it's to rush something along in unison. They were devoted and steadfast steadfast in prayer. And so when you turn over on the heels of them praying in that room, you turn over to Acts chapter 2 and you realize what takes place. Pentecost takes place. A supernatural work of God among the people of God to reach the community around them with the message of God. In Acts 2.37 it says, they were pierced to the heart. Which means they were aggravated or agitated to sorrow. They had understood that their sin put Jesus on the cross. They were guilty. But Jesus didn't stay in the tomb after He was dead. He was raised again. And so these guys could look at that and say, now we have hope. Jesus can be trusted. It was a supernatural work of God. 3,000 were saved. Do we want God to do a supernatural work among us? I think Jesus prayed for that, didn't He? He prayed that we would be one. He prayed that we would be in unity, not just physical unity, because He didn't say, hey, I want you guys to all get together in a building. That's not what He prayed for. He prayed that that we would be one as he and the father are one he prayed this in verse 17 sanctify them in the truth your word is truth it's that idea that being a child of God and having having a group of people that are children of God puts us in a position before God together to go to him we are children of God and we're not just children of God we are commissioned by God within this world Verse 21, that they may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that, and here's where it goes from, us collectively being together on the same page, unified in the Spirit to going into the community, being unified in the Spirit to seeing a a mighty work being done so that the world may believe that you sent me. Spiritual unity only exists because of the connection with God through Jesus Christ. Ray Steadman, and I don't know if you know that name, but Ray Stedman's been around for a long time. But well, he's actually passed at this point, enjoying the glories of heaven at this point. But Ray Stedman was a staple in some people's lives, and he was actually the mentor to Charles Swindoll and Luis Palau. Which you go, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. This is what he said about unity in spiritual unity and the unity of believers said unity already exists through christ it is not manufactured unity already exists it's why i can go to another church in another country and stand along people that do not speak the same language as me and feel like we are one there is a connection that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, unity already exists through Christ. It is not manufactured. The second thing he said is that Christian unity, unity cannot coexist in evangelistic endeavors with those denying this fundamental unity. For instance, we can't get together with people that don't know Christ and say we're on the same path or going through the same things or even reaching the same people for the same reason. There would not be spiritual unity if they don't know Christ and we do. One of the examples you could, you could say here is this whole idea of marriage and being unequally yoked. God does not desire that we be unequally yoked going into a marriage. And so, God says, hey, put on the brakes. Don't do missionary dating or missionary marriage. Doesn't work like that. How can you go the same direction if you're not on the same page? Christian unity cannot coexist in evangelistic endeavors with those denying this fundamental unity. The third thing is we don't create unity. We don't create unity, but rather maintain peace resulting in unity. Can we have arguments among each other? Can we disagree? I want to tell you that if if all of us shared our opinion in here, Of everything we would disagree and and let me just let me state it this way i will disagree with you on some things but you're the pastor you're not supposed to disagree that's hogwash i have an opinion just like you do and sometimes my opinions are right sometimes they are wrong There are times when I can state something and really the test of it all is going back to the Word of God and say, what does the Word of God say? So we can disagree about our opinions, but we need to be at peace with one another for the sake of unity and the sake of God's supernatural work. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received or to walk in cadence with the Spirit, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Or the bonds of peace. Look at this picture. You remember this commercial? See if it it comes up. Is that picture still there? There it is. You remember the commercial? Crazy glue, yeah. A bond that's really, really strong. I would not do that. My guess is that was either early Photoshop or that was a beam hung by a chain with a net underneath it about 10 feet that you cannot see. I don't know. But it's a bond that's supposed to be stronger than any bond. I want to tell you, the bond that we have in Christ should be stronger than that. So Paul writes this, Diligent keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. One God. Can we disagree? Sure. Can we be in unity? Yes. As we maintain the peace and desire to get along in the, for the sake of the kingdom. So can we pray in unity? If the peace escapes us, can we pray in unity if the peace escapes us? In day 19 of Asleep in the Land of Nod, which is the devotional book, if you've read 19, you understand this, and if not, you'll go home and read it. Or day 16, I'm sorry. Maybe it is day 19. I typed 16. Is it 19? Oh, look at 16 and 19. 19. It speaks of what God does in the life of individuals in plowing the ground so that the harvest can be right. We talk about the peace of God and unity of the Spirit. We have to allow God to churn us up so that something can grow in us. We have to allow God to do a work in us. Our God is the God who restores the humble, giving grace and mercy to us, even when we don't deserve it. In Ezra 9.13, part of Ezra's prayer says this, Though you, our God, have punished us less than our sins deserve and have allowed us to survive. We're all in that boat, aren't we? You've punished us less than we deserve, and you've allowed us to survive. So, when we come to a point of commitment and invitation, I'm going to ask three questions. Are there any issues between people in this room where patience, love, gentleness, and godly tolerance is required but has not been applied? I'm going to ask that during the invitation that you apply it today, that you take the time during the invitation. The second part of this is that if we're going to be unified in the spirit and unified in our cry to God, everyone's cry to God, we kind of need to know what's going on. In prayer life, we need to know what's happening. What are the burdens that hurt and are, and are weighty in our lives? And so on the end of the pews where you're at, there are some index cards. And there are a lot of index cards in the building. These index cards um, I'm going to ask you to do something with. What I want to ask you to do is to write down your prayer request. Now here, there are some rules to this. Don't put anything so personal and so blatant that people would be able to figure it out exactly who wrote it. So you're not going to sign these cards. You're going to list a prayer request with no names, but maybe it's a situation or a circumstance that you're going through or know of that you would love this congregation to pray about. And so you're going to write it on that card. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask that you bring those cards to the front. And we have a prayer team that's working for the awakening weekend. And they're going to collect those at the end of the end of the service. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go through those and we're going to translate those to Spanish. And then they're going to be posted in that area in the foyer. That's where that partition is. And we're going to put them out there. Faith is going to do the same thing. They're going to collect all theirs in Spanish and translate them to English. And so we together as two congregations will come together in spiritual unity praying about the concerns of each individual congregation. And you'll be able to go back there and look at those prayer requests. You'll be able to copy those down so you can pray about them at home. You can take the card and go someplace else out in the foyer and pray about it, but we ask that the cards would stay there. We'll put some rules up when we put the cards up so that you won't forget that, but it's a way for us to get together with faith and pray that God would do a revival work and a spiritual awakening work in our midst, a supernatural work. So that's what the cards are for. The other thing we're going to do, and um, Amber, is there a piece of paper on the end of the, in the pews? Okay, if um, if you guys would take one of the cards, whoever's on the end, take one card and just put all the names of the people, or just pass the card down, put your name on the card, and the prayer team is going to pray for you by row. And so you're going to say, well, maybe I want to be in another row. Not this morning. If you'll just take one card and put all the names on it, we'll take that card and Um, The prayer team will divide up our congregation or those that are here this morning and pray for you this week. And we'll do it again next week in preparation for our weekend. So get things right with those around us. Prayer requests on those cards and passing names down the row. And the last thing is to ask you, have you surrendered your life to God And receive the forgiveness that is available through Christ. Now, I want you to hear that. I know you're busy doing the cards right now. But if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you've never received Him, you've never been saved, then it's a big deal about what you do with that invitation of God. The Word says that if we admit that we're a sinner, And we can't save ourselves. If we believe that Jesus died on our behalf and believe that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So what we do is we confess our sin and then confess him as Lord in our life. And this morning, you can do that in this place. So let's pray. And then I'll have one more word and then we'll respond to the invitation as God leads us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your invitation for us to be in unity together, crying out to You, in one cry to You, saying, God, we want revival, we want spiritual awakening to take place, and we want to be in a position for that to happen. So, God, as You've plowed the ground in our life this morning, maybe a little bit, God, and You want to plant those words of and those seeds of revival in us, God, may we be open to what you want to do. And so God, may we respond in a way that brings you honor and glory during this time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A.T. Pearson said this, there's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin with united prayer. Never. So will God do it here? Are we united? It says, but when they cried out to you and you heard from heaven, if we cry out to God and He hears from heaven, what will happen? Oh, that God's power, the God's person would be displayed among us for His glory. Would you stand? Respond as God leads you this morning. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.